Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forever. Blessed be the name of the Lord. time of pandemic and quarantine, it's very easy for us to become self-absorbed, to forget the truths, the promises of God's Word, to stay in God's Word, and to remember that He will hold us fast.
Yes, mic test. Now I think we might be better. All okay. Right, try that again. All right. Welcome to our service this morning. We're so delighted that you could be with us. We uh, have uh, gathered uh, this morning and uh, we're thankful for your presence. Uh, we're <coughs> mindful that we want to shout to the Lord uh, our praise and thanksgiving for his goodness to us. And, and we want to remember as well that in these times of 
of danger and sometimes uh, those that are fighting for wellness of their health uh, that he will indeed hold us fast and we uh, truly do want to pray for you uh, and we've had this uh, time of prayer this morning and uh, we're uh, delighted to get uh, those prayer requests and to know the needs that are in the body it makes it more difficult with uh, the virus and not being able to congregate together as a as a, the body of Christ at Grace Bible Church, but uh, we uh, take those things at uh, the Lord's hand and know that He works all things together for good, and so we're just uh, delighted and joyful in the Lord for this day that He's given us. It's a beautiful day outside. And let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing upon his word as we open it together. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for your great mercies and for all that has been expressed of your love through us. And for our Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Uh, we thank you, God, for your mercies and ask that you would be pleased today to uh, be with us. We acknowledge uh, the need in our lives for your presence and for your Holy Spirit's work to illuminate the truth of your word so that that word being alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword would pierce even to the, even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and that it would discern the thoughts and the intents of our heart and that we might come in humility before you uh, to hear from the authority of your word those things that are needful for us. And we ask, God, that you would communicate uh, what uh, can't be communicated through the words of a man or through a, a program of a church, but communicate to us, Lord, from uh, yourself and be pleased to use uh, me as a conduit this morning in the opening of your word. Uh, to speak those things that you would have to say to your people today. Lord, we pray and we ask for these things uh, in the name of our glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, thank you for being with us. If you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, we'll look at the scripture this morning. It's not a, a very happy message because it's really the conclusion and the summary of the things that, that Paul has addressed in Romans chapter 1 and 2 and coming into chapter 3. And he concludes basically the Romans 1.18 passage, Romans chapter 1 verse 18. And there it says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And he's gone through this place of, of expressing the condemnation of God for the sinfulness of mankind, both Jew and Greek. Uh, and it's in the context, though, of that expression, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. 
And so Paul is developing this theme uh, through these chapters and through these verses in Scripture. And so this morning, I want to speak to you in regard to this summarized conclusion that the Apostle Paul makes and brings to in Romans chapter 3 in regard to mankind's total depravity. Both Jew and Greek are under the condemnation of sin of our sin and unrighteousness before holy God. And the scripture tells us on the authority of God's word that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that mankind has an accountability to his creator, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven uh, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness And in this summary, we will find that the Apostle Paul declares that we are the suppressors of truth in unrighteousness before God and that we are accountable for these things. So uh, that's a summary of of the conclusion. And let me just uh, work you through our passage today. But we want to begin by reading uh, these verses from verse 9 of chapter 3 to 18. And as Paul concludes, as he draws uh, and comes to this conclusion, he he asks the question in verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under, under sin. And then in verse 10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become they have become there is none good, no not one that does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And in the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, and every mouth shall be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God, because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning, and let's look at this conclusion that the Apostle Paul draws in these verses uh, for the condemnation of of both Jews and Greeks, that we are all under the condemnation of sin. So in verse 9, we find the conclusion, that the charge that is made against mankind by God, spoken through the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome. In the first century, these words have carried through the ages to the church and to God's people. The acknowledgement that we have all, that, that there's no one excluded, 
except our Lord Jesus Christ, that we were all under sin. And even our Lord Jesus Christ bore our sin on the cross of Calvary. Uh, but the charge is made that all mankind is under sin. He makes the charge that the, there in uh, uh, verse 9 that, that both uh, the Jews and the Greeks are under uh, this charge that God is making against us in regard to our sin. The indictment is given in verses uh, 10 uh, through 18, and we're going to look at th these verses and, and that this morning. Uh, but the nature of, a, of a, uh, a court and a trial is that you have a charge, you have the indictment made, then you have a defense that's offered, and then you have a sentence that is given. Uh, and we're going to find that pattern of a, a legal court judgment and case that Paul is making here uh, to those that he's writing to in Rome. And, uh, and in the verses that we're looking at in regard to the indictment, there's basically three things, uh, three points or four points that uh, I would like to make in regard to the indictment because there's 14 phrases describing man's condition in these verses that we just read and that I didn't do such a good job with, by the way, reading but uh, I take it that you uh, were following along well. And, uh, but the first is that man's character uh, is, is, uh, is totally depraved, and, uh, and that means that it's, it has to do with his character. So we find the first six points in this list of phrases involves man's character. Uh, and then we come to the second point where we find man's speech is totally depraved. His words are totally, he speaks of the total depravity as re in regard to mankind's words that he speaks. And then thirdly, there is man's work or his deeds that are totally depraved. And there's three points there in this list of phrases that the Apostle Paul brings as charges to those that he's writing to in Rome. And then finally, at the end, there is... Uh, kind of a, a foundational statement in point 14 that man's sight is totally depraved. Uh, and so we see that there's no fear of God before their eyes and it deals with our relationship with our creator again and our guilt before that creator and accountability to that creator. So let's go back and look at the verses then. Romans 3 verses 9 through 18 where we find that the charge is being made here in verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? What is Paul saying here? He's saying he's just addressed his Jewish brethren. And as a Jew, Paul is asking them the question. Uh, we have these rhetorical questions that are, is being written in his letter. And he's saying, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we already have charged that both Jews and Greeks all are under sin. So Paul is making the point that, hey, Jews, though you have been given advantage through the special revelation that was given, we spoke about in our last sermon in the earlier verses of chapter 3 and, and in chapter 2, the Jewish people were, um, they, uh, were under the same indictment of sin. Uh, and even under a greater indictment because 
greater revelation had been given to them uh, in the special revelation. So the, the conclusion then is for Paul that no, that pagan sinner out there that hasn't heard the word of God before, but the, the, the word and the glory and the power of God has been expressed uh, through him. For, the, uh, for since the creation of the world, the invisible, uh, his invisible uh, per- person, his, uh, invi- uh, his power and uh, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what was created. Paul is, is declaring and charging that the pagan has been uh, justly charged and judged with accountability to his creator and that the Jew as well that has been given special revelation the law of Moses uh, the the word uh, that God spoke through the prophets and ultimately uh, as we look into the New Testament at the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the word made flesh that both Jews and Gentiles are under the charge and the conviction of sin Now notice that it says, not all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. And I want to make that point. The indictment is that man's character is totally depraved. And it tells us in these verses uh, that we're looking at what man is. But notice that it says, all are under sin. That means that we're under the guilt of sin. It means that we're under the power of sin. It means that we're under the condemnation of sin. It means that we're under the doom of sin. It means that we are under the blindness of sin. It means that we're under the bondage of sin because Jesus said, he that commits sin is a slave to sin. We're under the weight of of this responsibility before God. We're under the weight of this rebellion against our God and Creator. We're under the weight of such things uh, that that God as our, our God and Creator would hold us accountable for. And that's the charge. The charge is, is that this is true. And under that, and under these circumstances, uh, God our Lord Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. The Scripture says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And he came and he dwelt among us. And he humbled himself to become a physical man, a human being, to take upon himself flesh and to dwell among us and to bear our sin for us uh, and to take that charge of sin. The, indi- the, the charge against us and being under sin, there was no way out for mankind. There was no way out for you. There was no way out for me. There was no other way except Jesus Christ. He is the way and the truth and the life and no man can come to the Father except through Him. And Paul is building this case before us and laying the charge and getting to first base, understanding our relationship with God, understanding who we are, understanding the gravity of sin requires that we, that we understand uh, what it means to be under sin. This is a very powerful verse, very powerful to us. And for, for no 
sincere and true believer in Jesus Christ, can there, there be any reality to what that means about believing in Jesus Christ until we come to understand the fullness of what it means for us to be under sin, under the guilt, the power, the condemnation, the doom, the blindness, the bondage of sin. Look at verse 10. As it is written, there is, not, there is none righteous, not even one. So now we come to the indictment of being under sin. There's 14 phrases here, as we mentioned, 14 phrases that describes the fallen nature of men, what it means to be totally depraved. And I would say up front that total depravity does not mean that, that every man is totally as bad as uh, what the, 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 the uh, name that we've given to total depravity might suggest in some definition or some, some thinking. The reality is that total depravity means that we're uh, completely unable and, and completely capable of all of these, these, uh, these sins that have been uh, spoken of in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2. Uh, of all of that that is offensive to God, of all of that that involves unrighteousness, of all of those things that make our world what our world is today, uh, it is a hopeless, totally depraved, hopeless case for mankind on his part. And that's the beginning of the understanding of the, of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it means for God to justify us. So man's character is totally depraved. It's what man is. Is It's his character that is being addressed here. And he, it says that none are righteous. It means this, that none are right in their duties to God and others. None are right. What does that mean? Well, it means what does God require? That you live justly and love mercy. And we express the characteristics of the beautiful nature of our Lord Jesus Christ who came and took upon himself flesh and became an example for us and, and uh, to whom we can look to to know what righteousness is. It's defined by the very person of Jesus Christ. But none are right in their duties to God and others. Have you found it difficult to live the, uh, a, a, a right and moral and ethical life? Well, sure you have. Uh, that's the reality of who we are. And and it, it, it express it spreads itself into even the Christian life and the, the new covenant in Jesus Christ. The realities are that in our flesh there is nothing good. There's none that are righteous in their duties to God and their duties to and responsibility for caring for others. And we've seen this in the coronavirus, haven't we? You know, there's that juggling of uh, how do we care uh, and, and do righteously before God and caring for the lives of others and, and carrying on. And sometimes it gets very complicated. But it's complicated because we're complicated. It's complicated because in my flesh I'm selfish and prideful and I have all of these, these characteristics of total depravity that come into factor with how I behave and how we behave with one another. None are righteous in their duties to God and others. And it's, it's important for us as God's people to recognize these things, that in our flesh 
that we're not going to be righteous, that, that we are uh, in such a, a desperate and fallen state that we need for God to intervene. We need for a transformation to take place, not just in the things that we do, as Paul has been teaching in these verses, but in who we are, in who man is, in who his character is, in the character of us. We need to be born again. There needs to be a change because man has fallen. He's totally depraved. He's without help in being in the bondage of sinfulness. The scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and and that there's none righteous, no, not one. And that uh, the wages of our sin is death, it's separation from God, it's 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 the disconnect with being able to to perform the righteous duties before God and others. This is our, our sad estate. And it's the 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 ongoing battle that Christians deal with in regard to whether the, the new nature, the spirit of Christ is is moving me in the decisions that I make and the responsibilities that I have and the duties that I take in living righteously and with justice and mercy to others. These things are essential for us. And it's essential for us to understand that my fleshly nature, though I may be able to behaviorally change it somewhat, that it is totally depraved and incapable of the type of righteousness that Jesus Christ required of us, that God himself requires of us as his people. We're helpless and hopeless in the strength and energy of our flesh. And so we need to understand that it's just reality for it's not it's not uh, having a, a depressed view of who man is. It's a realistic view of who we are. And God wants for us to deal truthfully with the fact that none are right in their duties to God. Look at verse 11. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. Here we find uh, God's perspective is, is challenged in man's character. There's none see life from God, the biblical worldview, the, the godly perspective from the perspective of, of above. We just don't look at life that way by nature. Our fleshly nature is totally depraved. It is diminished in how we look at life. And in regard to these right and rightful duties and righteous living before God and man, we don't see from the the view above, we need God's word to correct us, to instruct us, uh, to divide between the soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow and discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's what God's word does for us. And so we find truth, we find correction in what Paul is saying in these verses. None see life from the biblical worldview. None see life from God's perspective. And then it goes on to say, none seeks for God. We don't seek for God. We are satisfied with, with, with filling up our own hungers with temporal things and trying to find security in temporal things. But God wants us to hunger for Him. He wants for us to seek after Him. Because he's our creator and he created us for these things. And we'll never find contentment. We'll never find what it means to live life, the life that we were created for in God's image until we seek God and we desire God. And God wants us to hunger for him. 
And I pray for you, our congregation, that we truly hunger for God, that we truly hunger to come and worship Him, that we truly hunger to know God and on a deeper level, and that there's nothing that can satisfy that hunger except this relationship with God Himself that we have found in Jesus Christ. We found the answer. We found the answer to the need that, that of the reality that none hunger for God, none seek after God, none, and, and, and God desires it. The first command is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our soul and our might. And do we, do we love him in such a way? Do you love the Lord your God? That's the big question for us. And I want to ask you a very personal and direct question. How distant is your relationship with the Lord God this morning? Are you seeking after God? Do you desire the Lord your God? And I know that, that we can desire a whole lot of things in life and we can set our affections on many things in life, but the chief thing in life should be that we're seeking after God, that we love God, that we, that we acknowledge our Creator for who He is, and that we're brought in a blessed way, in only a way which God our Savior can bring us in to that relationship and that desire for that relationship and that hunger to seek God that we truly need. You need it this morning. And so I want to ask you today, are you seeking God? And do you love God? And do you hunger to know the God that created you? And these words, these passages are telling us of our condition and the fact that we don't, not by nature. God has to do a work into us and he has to do a work in our heart and life. The Holy Spirit has to, to bring us to that conviction that, hey, I need what I need most, foremost of all, is to hunger for the Lord God, to seek after the Lord God, to desire him. Do you desire the Lord God this morning? I pray that God will do such a work in my heart that I truly love him that I truly have affection for my Creator, that I truly know the depth of the love of Jesus Christ and, and draw near to Him through my Lord Jesus Christ. Looking at verse 12. All have turned aside together. This is an interesting phrase that is given, and it, it gives the idea that's spoken of in these verses that we've covered that, that all of mankind, humanity as a whole, you know, we're all under the first Adam, and humanity as a whole have turned away. Uh, we turn to pursue many temporal things in life. We love this life so much, and we find our security in the things in this life, and we've turned to pursue those temporal things. And God is saying that there's something more, that there's something greater than the material things than in the empirical world that, that we taste and touch and feel and hear and sense in the physical world, that there's a spiritual world, but we've turned away from the spiritual world and from the relationship with God who is spirit and from those things which are essential, we've turned away to pursue many wrong things, idolatry. Scripture says that God, uh, and going back to chapter 1, 
Therefore, God gave them up to the, in, in the lust of their own hearts to impurity. Uh, it's, it's a sad state that mankind is in. And God gives us up. He actually gives us over uh, to the impurity of our, our own hearts and, and, and they dishonor their, their own bodies among themselves. Uh, that's what idolatry does. That's the reality of, of that turning away from uh, the seeking God and, and pursuing after uh, the character and the nature of our Lord God. And then it says, there is none who does good. There is not even one. And uh, it says, oh, I'm sorry, I've skipped one phrase. Together they have become useless. Together they have become useless. And this, picture, this word is a, a picture of, of, of rot, of being spoiled, of something that, that turns sour. And, and that's the depiction that the Apostle Paul gives us uh, of, of the Lord's view of, of humanity. Human rot is fallen man's fate, uh, that we're spoiled in what we were created to be, created in the image of God, to have relationship with God, and under submission to the fact that He is God and we are not, that we would uh, have uh, fruitfulness in our life. Jesus prayed that that we, the body would be fruitful, that his disciples would bear much fruit. Uh, and yet the, the truth and the reality is that in the human flesh we've been spoiled, but God wants us to be fruitful, to bear fruit that is meat for, for feeding the spiritual life. So together they have become uh, rotten, they've become spoiled, we've become useless. It's us. It's who we are. And, and, and Paul wants us to know these things. And then he says, not a single one has, uh, there's not even one that does good. Now this word is actually the word that's often used for kindness. Like if you look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 6, uh, this word is translated kindness. But it has the sense, it also can be translated as integrity. There's not a single one that has integrity. There's not a single one that, that does good, that does, you know, we've got righteousness up here doing what is our duty before God and before others, before mankind. But we've also got, we've got the idea of doing kindness and being the expression of who God is and the mercies that we saw in Christ and his goodness and kindness to us. Uh, so uh, we're without it. Looking at verse 13 then, <clears throat> we come to the uh, next section there were six points that were made there. Not a single person <coughs> has kindness. And uh, so it, it comes to um, man's speech is totally depraved in these verses. It goes to this picture of the throat. Uh, and we find that uh, there are four points made here in regard to man's words and what he speaks. Speaking is, is a very serious thing in Scripture. Uh, in fact, we're, we're, we're warned in the Gospels by the Lord Jesus Christ that, that we'll answer for the things that we say. Uh, we're, we're told in, in the Gospels, Jesus Christ said, <clears throat> it's not what goes into the mouth of man, but what comes out of the mouth because it comes from the heart, it comes from the inner person that defiles the man. 
Our words are very serious. And so we find in verse 13 that their throat is an open grave. And with their tongues they keep deceiving, and the poison of the asp is under their lips. So here we find that their throat breathes decay. It's words of death. The scripture says in Proverbs that life and death are in the power of the tongue. You literally kill people with words. That's what the scripture says. Or you can bring life to people with words. I want to speak word, speak life with my words, whether it's teaching a scripture or speaking to someone in regard to their their life and relationship with God and with, with others. And, and we want to speak life through our words. But the scripture tells us that man's speech is totally depraved, that their throat is an open... Sepulchre, and it, and what this this word or this term means is that it breathes decay. It's like he's using this this beautiful picture of a tomb, and if we could look at the Old Testament uh, picture of the of the tomb that's open, it's like an open sepulchre, an open grave, and out of that comes the rot of the human body. It's a very vivid picture that Paul draws in regard to the words that we speak to one another and the fact that there's uh, this decay that comes from the mouth of man. And again, it takes us back to out of the heart of men are words which are spoken that are, are brought to decay and, and ruin. And it says that their tongues deceive and that we're naturally manipulative, aren't we? It's so easy for us, and so often that we do it, that we simply bend words or terms, things that we say uh, to manipulate people to get what we want out of life. And it's characteristic of us. It's in our heart. It's in our nature. It's sad, but our tongue is used to deceive. And the scripture in James tells us about the power of the tongue and the, the danger of the tongue. We could go there and... and and do a sermon in itself about the fact that the tongue is deceitful. And, and, uh, and, but out of the heart of man, the scripture says, the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked, and the tongue speaks that deceit. It propagates, it, it reproduces that deceit that comes from our heart, and we're accountable to it for, before God. God holds us accountable for what we say, and so we need to watch our words and, and be careful uh, with our tongue that it's not given to deceit. And number nine here, or I think it's your third point, uh, is their lips are poison. Uh, the poison of the asp is under their lips. It's like injecting poison into people. It's like striking them. That's what we do with our words. The poison of the, the, the lips, or the lips are, are poison when we speak. And so we need, and I need to, uh, to be careful in regard to, to speech and to whether you're speaking something that is, is damaging to someone or you're speaking life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. He that loves it shall eat the fruit thereof. That's what the Proverbs tell us. Looking at verse 14 then, and with fourth point, <coughs> whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. And, uh, you know, is this not true that in the frustrations of life, those, those words come out that 
or cursing and bitterness. And did you know and realize that that's an expression of your anger toward God and toward your circumstances and and toward uh, such things that, that should be convicting to us? Uh, that we get frustrated and we and and the the deep heart of the matter is is that we're frustrated with God, we're frustrated with the fallen world that we live in, we're frustrated with our inability to be Lord of our own lives and for life to work as we want it to. So we curse, we say things that we should not say, uh, we speak bitterness because the circumstances are bad instead of rejoicing evermore, praying without ceasing, and all things giving thanks as the Scripture admonishes us to. So I challenge you this morning, how is your mouth? How are we? How are we doing before God? And, and uh, are we taking seriously the, the, how serious God takes our mouth and our thoughts and those things which proceed from our mouth that express cursing and bitterness and frustration at life in a fallen world simply because we're living in a fallen world we're still required by God uh, to give thanks to God for all of his blessings and, and all of the goodness that God has given to us so their mouth swells full of cursing and bitterness it's like it's it's bulging out of your mouth you've stuffed yourself with cursing and bitterness, and it just explodes. And that's actually what takes place, isn't it? Uh, it explodes, cursing and bitterness and frustration at life, at the reality that we're not in charge of things, and things don't go the way that we, we want them to or think they should, and we can't be Lord of our own lives. And out of that frustration swells cursing and bitterness instead of thanksgiving to God that in spite of all of those things that go bad, all of the goodness that we know has been given to us by his hand. And he's worthy of praise and worthy of thanksgiving and worthy of all of these things that mankind does not speak to. And so we need to learn and we need to let God's spirit teach us and move us beyond uh, what we are in our humanity and, and love the Lord our God and speak of his praises and use our mouth to praise the Lord our God. And I want to challenge you this morning to praise the Lord with your mouth, to give thanks to God because he deserves our thanksgiving. He deserves our praise. He deserves for us to come on Sunday morning and sing about how great he is because he's that great and much, much greater than what we in our hearts can express through song and through worship. We need this time of worship. Uh, I'm glad that it can be online, but we need to worship the Lord our God. We need to come and express thanksgiving and praise to Him and not uh, forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but express worship to God. So I pray that even this morning that in the sincerity of our hearts and, and with the direction of our will and obedience to God's word, that we sang praise to God and that we did it joyfully and that it was a, a wonderful offering of the sacrifice of the praise of our lips given to God. It was such a blessing to sing. Thank you, Steve and Pat. And thank you, Kyle, 
for, for leading us in song. Thank you, Emily, for, for playing music that our, the melody of, uh, uh, of, of, of God's word is in our heart. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in your hearts. That's worship, and God is worthy of it, and give it to him. And give that praise and glory to God. Now it brings us to the third point in verse 15. Man's work is totally depraved. Man's character is totally depraved. Man's mouth is depraved. Man's work is totally depraved. And, and we find here, this is what man does. There are three points under these 14 points or 14 phrases that are given. And this one is about man's deeds. Man's, what man does... God cares about what we do, but he cares more about what, and it, it flows, and it's, it's interesting, the flow of these things, that it begins with his character. There's none righteous. It's the inner part of the person that he cares about, that he, he, he wants to be transformed, that he, he did uh, the work on the cross of Calvary in order to transform our heart, in order to change our life, in order to do what only God could do, man's uh, Character needs to be transformed, and his words need to be transformed. What comes out of that heart and out of that character needs to be transformed because it gives life, and it gives praise to God, and it gives such things that should be characteristic of man as created in God's image. And then man's work, his deeds also, they need to flow out of what God does with our character. But to love justice, and, and, but to do justice and to love mercy should be characteristic of the believer, of the Christian. Uh, verse 15 says, Their feet are swift to shed blood. And here he's speaking about where man goes and what he does. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And we can, can think of all the armies and all of the, the greedy battles that mankind has fought. We can think of the vengeance that has been uh, wrought through the hands of, of man and through mankind. All of these things are distasteful to the Lord our God. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And we're brought to Proverbs chapter uh, 1, verses 10 and 12, and, and the, the teaching that David, who was a great warrior, by the way, it's good to, to remember that David was a, a great and a mighty warrior, but in the instruction that he gives to his son, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent and if they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Because this, again, is the nature of man and what he does. And it flows out of his character. And David gives warning to his son in the Proverbs. And Solomon took those warnings. And they were recorded in the scripture for us. Because it's wisdom that comes from God. That man's feet are swift to shed blood and avoid that uh, swiftness to shed blood. In verse 16, destruction and misery are in their paths. Their journeys have destruction and misery. Uh, we, we take the path, uh, and again, it's the heart of man and the character of man that drives us to self-seek, to self-seeking, life the way we want it, and to... Uh, moving after those things which the Scripture tells us are unprofitable. And Jesus taught us that he who saves his life loses it, and he who loses his life saves it. And he's speaking and addressing the inner character 
of us that we, we need to lose and put to death selfishness, the selfish nature and the prideful nature of flesh in order to live godly lives, in order to live in such a way. And that brings us to verse 17. And the path of peace they have not known. Their paths do not know peace, the scripture tells us. And we find here that peace is so missing and, and uh, these times in our planet Earth. Uh, we uh, are, are so often without that peace. That, and I just can't help but think of our Lord Jesus giving to his disciples. These things have I spoken unto you that you may have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Jesus offered his peace to his disciples as he was getting ready to depart and take and bear the sin, their sins upon the cross of Calvary. He wanted them to know that and because they were troubled, they were fearful like maybe many of you are today because of the coronavirus and many things that are going on in the world. There's tribulation in this fallen and rebellious world against our God and Creator. There is rightful justice on God's part and judgment that falls upon us and difficult things and trials that are just and that in that, in all of those things, that, that in Christ Jesus, Christ has given to us his peace. And so I pray that you as God's people know God's peace. You know his goodness and kindness to uh, this day. And uh, I, it's, it's something that is so needful in this time of coronavirus. And, and remember that, that the Lord Jesus tells us, fear not, be not afraid. Over and over in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, we're <clears throat> exhorted, we're admonished by God to, to not be given to fear, but to have. Uh, and there's times where we need to be cautious, like with this virus, but we're not to be fearful. For our life, our breath, all things are in, our, and in God's hands. And he has uh, certainly numbered each one of our days, and we can trust and have uh, peace during times of great uh, danger and great stress and great trials because God has given to us in Christ Jesus peace. But we want to take the path of peace and go after those things. There's a final part here in verse 18. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And this goes directly to the relationship with God. I think it's kind of a foundational statement and indictment at the end of things but it, it says that, that we, again, that we do not seek God. We do not have affection for God. Uh, but it addresses man's sight and uh, man's understanding is, is what is being addressed here. Man's sight is totally depraved, and he's addressing what man understands. Uh, so I have a, an illustration for you that I want to close with at this point. Um, and that illustration... Uh, <clears throat> was given by by um, uh, Chuck uh, Colson uh, back in 1994, uh, <clears throat> and he addressed the uh, Nuremberg trials, uh, the fact that um, that Adolf Eichmann, uh, one of the uh, 
one of the architects of the, the Nazi Holocaust was being brought to trial. <clears throat> and there's something that, that, that we, we need to, to look at and think about in regard to the uh, to total depravity of mankind, mankind's total depravity. And that is that we, and our founders understood the biblical concept of the fall, that man is totally deprived, depraved, and so therefore we need limited government, limiting the power of man uh, to, uh, uh, to, uh, to acknowledge that, that man has that innately within him. <clears throat> and, and so uh, to limit the powers was a, a wise and a biblical thing because uh, that's our nature uh, the line and, uh, between good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And uh, we find this illustrated in the, the, the trial of Adolf Eichmann uh, because during this trial they brought uh, forth a, a man that came out of the, the uh, Holocaust there from Auschwitz where many, many thousands and some of his friends were executed under the authority and under the uh, commands of this man, Otto Adolf Eichmann. Um, and a, a curious thing happened as Yael, Yael uh, Denur uh, came into the courtroom. He was brought into the courtroom. And as he looked up and saw and looked into the eyes of Adolf Eichmann, he, he literally collapsed on the floor. He violently started sobbing, uh, and questions were. Uh, many people were wondering what did, was it that Denur, what was it that he thought, what was he thinking, in this regard. And the truth was, uh, they, he was asked on 60 Minutes some uh, time later, uh, what was going on in his mind? Was it were you overcome by your hatred? Were you overcome by the memories and the stark evil of Eichmann uh, and the things that he had committed? And his statement was that uh, Eichmann did not look like an evil monster at all. He said he looked like an ordinary person, just like anyone else, just like you and me. And Anur said, I realized that evil is endemic to the human condition that any one of us could commit the same atrocities. And the point is, with total depravity, that Eichmann is in all of us, that we're all capable of such things and such depravity before God. May God deliver us through the Lord Jesus Christ. May we find hope and help in the salvation of Jesus Christ. I just have to say to you, if you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus taught Nicodemus, you must be born again. There must be a transformation that takes place on the inside of you that only God can do. You must call and, and, and receive his word because the scripture, Jesus said that I will give to you eternal life if you put your belief and trust in me. He has borne our sins on the cross of Calvary and he offers unto us a transformation of the human heart. And we're going to look further and more into that in our studies in the book of Romans. Please join us as we continue to study. Uh, we will continue to be 
online. At some point, we're going to transition to um, to services and opening up uh, this place for services again. Uh, but we're going to continue to live stream and encourage you to be with us one way or the other as we study the Word and in uh, these truths. Father in heaven, thank you for your great mercies and for this day. Uh, bless us, Lord, with the knowledge of you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you might strengthen us with might by your Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that we know the transformation. Blessed are you, our Lord and God, who according to your mercy has caused us to be born again. And we give thanks because Jesus Christ was willing to pay the price to and and pay, uh, pay the price and take the cost of Calvary that our sins might be given to him and that you might cause him to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him and Lord bless us with the knowledge of and the, the the full value of what you have done in Christ Jesus we pray in his name amen